and welcome to this week's Cross the Bridge with the Artificial Hipsters. My name is Kieran Casey. And my name is Jim Corbett. But Jim, I'm going to go first. Oh, good. On my moment of the week. That means I don't have to think. No, it'll give you time to think. (laughs) Um, So it has to be Virgil van Dijk's goal for Liverpool to win the first trophy of the season. Uh, what was that you said? Did, did I hear congratulations? Um, what was that you said? Oh, oh it was Mickey, it's the Mickey Mouse Cup, isn't it? I mean, who cares? Uh, no, it wasn't just the winning of it. It was the manner of victory, particularly when Liverpool ended up with so many injuries mm. that they had to field five kids from the academy. Well, was it injuries or, or was it the fact that some of their hugely expensive players are bloody useless? Oh, like Mo Salah and, and Darwin. Yeah, Lube, well, yeah, school for a bit. Diego Jota <laughs> and, and Sobolewski. Yeah, these are just, these like, are just words. Like, like Trent. <laughs> Trent. Um, no, I Didn't mean... I thought, I'd forgotten that Liverpool supporters have forgotten what good players look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Top of the league. Um, so, ah, yeah, it was, it was an extraordinary afternoon. And... and, and uh, by no means were we inspired or filled with confidence during the, especially the last 20 minutes of the 90 minutes. And going into extra time, we were, um, I say we, because I was watching it here with my sons and uh, my son's friend, Dan, uh, who's part of our Liverpool clique. Um, but we were very nervous going into extra time. And to score the goal, the way it was scored by Van Dijk and have five 50% of your outfield players uh, who not just were young but were incredibly inexperienced against an experienced Chelsea team who, if I was a Chelsea fan, I would have been very disappointed with, particularly in their extra time performance. Yeah, I didn't see the match, but I saw the reports this morning and that sounds like a fair Yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. They just, they just went to sleep for extra time. I don't know whether they were hanging around for penalties, but uh, it was a very joyous moment and uh, the celebrations after I sat down from the celebrations, uh, I actually felt a bit dizzy. So, um, oh well, it's probably that's often the case when you have particularly joyous celebrations. Yeah, and you leap up too quickly as well, <laughs> and you change too fast, <laughs> especially especially with twenty year olds um, who can. Yeah, that's out- always a mistake. Yeah, they can definitely outdo me in the jumping around stakes. But it was lovely. It was a great moment. And I know that we're not going to dwell on sport, but sport can be something magical. And that was one of the magical moments. Good um, for you. Yeah. So what was your moment? Well, my moment is a, is a bit of a negative moment, but I'm very pleased. Well, I'm pleased in one way, but it's not a subject to be pleased about. Um, in my uh, Artilect talk a little while ago, I waxed lyrical about the uselessness of the Irish Armed Forces. Mm. And, um, and you know, what a responsibility Ireland had, blah, 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 I won't go into all of that. I thought I was a lone voice crying in the wilderness, but it seems not. Big double-page double spread yesterday in the uh, Sunday Times, mm. saying exactly the same stuff. You've been vindicated. What's going on here? Sorry? You've been vindicated. This is two vindicated. weeks in a row you've been vindicated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's over, but Rosario always says that I'm, I'm ahead of the game, so I'm ahead of it again. Yeah, Ireland's got no way of, um, of of detecting submarines in the you know like the Western approaches and Ireland's sphere of influence, which extends 250 miles out into the Atlantic. They're some of the most important 
data cables and junctions and God knows what under the sea there, mm. which we we know from various means, certainly in other parts of um, the world, the Russians and the Chinese are carefully mapping so they know exactly where they are and so on. So in the event of something dreadful starting, they can knock out all our communications like that. Now, I, I'm sure that there are... Uh, other actions that are taken, I have little doubt that NATO also has been probing around inside that area. Mm. Um, but the other thing is, of course, Ireland's got no land-to-air radar out that way, certainly not military radar. Um, and so there's just there's just no coverage for anybody. And is it incumbent on Ireland to monitor that gigantic space and uh, it's critical well not entirely no of course not and they, they one wouldn't expect that they could do it in you know association with americans or brits or french or whatever they like um but i think it's i'm not talking about bolstering the 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 weak link or the weak front for nato i'm talking about irish national defense you know, if if it were that the Russians decided that they wanted to start destabilising Ireland in order to be able to justify some sort of incursion into Ireland, which would be a very silly thing to do, but they could do. They could just try and destabilise Ireland. All sorts of stuff could come in on that shoreline. And, no, you know, you just won't know. The only people who will know are the British submarines who are out there already anyway um, and the Americans. Well, if they know, uh, they'll just tell us, won't they? I'm not being glib here, but I mean, like, do you really need, to, if you have two states out there already monitoring, why do we need to monitor it? Well, okay. If if you're going along the line, which I can, it's perfectly logical, so, you know, Ireland's a very small country, why don't the big states just cooperate with us? Fine. Well, why don't you just cooperate with the big states then? Well, why don't you say, okay, what we'll do is we'll join NATO. You can join NATO as an administrative member. You don't have to put soldiers and sailors up, up on, in the line. Mm. But that would then enable Ireland to negotiate mutually uh, beneficial um, treaties. With well, we, had, we did have a pod last year some sometime about neutrality. And yes, we did. I went into that pod open-minded. And I left firmly of the view that Ireland should stay neutral. Yeah, yeah. Um, more so because who do you join with? You well, know, I think the usual, the usual argument that, that comes out of Ireland is, you know, everybody loves us, number one, nobody's going to attack us. And B, um, because we're so bloody popular, everybody should come and look after us. And both of those things are true. Well, I'll rest <laughs> my case then. <laughs> No, I, I take what you're saying seriously. Um, I I didn't read the article, but I'm glad that you felt vindicated. That's two weeks in a row you've been vindicated. Saturated yeah. fats last you week. Said, you said that as if me being vindicated was something unusual. No, no, it's just I know it gives me so much pleasure. Do you want to get, do you want to, while you're on a roll, do you want to go to your moan? Yeah, my moan is the uh, ridiculous shenanigans in the, in the um, House of Commons in England last week when oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. there was a, a what they call a members' day. This is a fairly um, trite little event. Mm. It's a sop to the smaller parties. Yeah. When, or when I say the non-governmental parties, where they get um, what are called opposition days. Yeah. And they can decide 
on a major topic that they want to have discussed in Parliament on that day. Yeah. And you put forward, they put their thing forward, and, of course, the other parties can then come along and put amendments to it. Yeah. Now. It's the SNP, wasn't it, that put yeah, forward? the SNP thought they'd be really clever. Hmm. Uh, and they put up um, a, a motion which was very pro-Palestinian, but especially was calling for an immediate ceasefire. Mm. And the problem, well, I think it is now clearly established, that the reason they did that was to deliberately embarrass the Labour Party, not the Tories, the Tories can't be embarrassed mm. on this topic, but the Labour Party could, because the Labour Party's been a bit wishy-washy about it um, in terms of what their strict policy is. Mm. They don't want to cut ties with America or Israel, on the other hand, you know, they're not very happy with what's happening now. So they've been very, you know, wishy-washy. So straight away, what normally happens is that there are the other parties can put up amendments. Yeah. So the normal process mm. in that is that you've got the SNP have put up um, a big uh, motion, and normally it would be for the government to put an amendment against it, mm. right? Now, in that circumstance, it would be much easier for um, <clears throat> for Keir Starmer to say to his people, oh, look, you know, we'll, we'll vote with the government mm. or we'll even vote with the SNP because it won't make any difference. They'd lose the vote and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a significance. Yeah. But for some reason, um, they started to worry about that. So and and Keir Starmer started to worry. He thought he was going to be made to look ridiculous. God knows it's not difficult to do. So he went to see the speaker mm. whilst the debate was in process, progress. And it appears convinced him that um he would uh, that that he should take the Labour Party um, amendment for a vote, not yeah. the government amendment for a vote. Yeah. And that's not, that's, you know, British politics, especially yeah. House of Lords, work, yeah, House of Commons yeah. works on convention, and the conve that's not the convention. He's gone mm. right against. Nobody's ever done that before, actually. Mm. Decided to not take the government line. So um, he came back in and announced that he would be taking the vote on the Labour amendment. Mm on the government one and all hell broke loose in yeah. the in the in the chamber the Tories all walked out mm. um the Labour Party people were cock a hoop of course but um, the, the SNP and a load of the smaller parties all walked out all hell broke loose I don't think they had a vote in the end um and the, the speaker seemed to indicate that his worry was you know, there's lots of wild talk around, lots of wild talk around everywhere now these days, but especially around the the Middle East in every aspect, and especially the Gaza conflict. And he decided that he didn't take the government issue, which would have been uh, nowhere opposed to a ceasefire, which would have been carried. Um, and he went for the Labour one because he didn't want to see any more of his colleagues being assassinated by extremists. Mm. Now, 
okay, I mean, we none of us want to see any of them, anybody assassinated by extremists, whoever they are. Um, but that was a direct, I don't think he, think he meant it like this, but it is in effect a direct attack on the primacy of debate in Parliament. Mm. If you're going to start changing things because you're afraid of all the nasty bad boys who are out there who might come and get us, well, then we've had it. Forget it. You can't do that. In a democracy, you have to, A, you have to follow the conventions of normal debate in the House of Commons, and B, you can't be swayed by that sort of thing. We've never been swayed by that sort of thing. Mm. You know, we've always taken the hard line in the hard place. And so that was a very, very bad idea. Well, he did apologise. He, he did apologise, but... Yeah. Of course, he, he used to be a Labour MP. He was always a bit flaky, to be honest. He's a nice man, nice, very nice man. But um, he's a bit he's a bit flaky. And I think he was just lent on by Keir Starmer. I have no evidence for this, but I just believe that on the mm. balance of probabilities is what happened. Um, I think he was lent on by Keir Starmer and suddenly was looking, desperately looking for a reason to give him to avoid the convention. Mm. And was this, oh, you know, lots of lots of MPs have had death threats. Um, yes, they have. And we know that over the last number of years, several of them have been killed. Mm. A couple have been killed by right-wing nutcases, but most of them have been killed by uh, terrorists, usually Islamic terrorists. So um, I think it's about six people in all over the last 10 years or something. It's quite a significant number, actually, but um, but you still, you can't, you can't, yeah, so again, I don't know. I felt the speaker behaved honourably and that when he apologised about not adhering to due process such that it is, um, I believed him. I think he was being sincere. Uh, the other thing which was interesting on the substantive issue, there, I felt there was some kind of cohesion starting to form across the parties, that there wasn't as as big a divide in, in the positions that SNP who went on one extreme. And if you want to say that the, the government parties or uh, the Tory party had, you, you might say a completely ex other extreme, they were, the positions were actually closer than I had previously understood. And there was possible, some possibility that there could have been some cross party agreement on what position Britain should take about this issue now. I know it was different than it was, you know, yeah. months ago. So that 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 cohesion, that that moment for something that might have been a bit of a breakthrough, that was was lost. And then I the don't think it was ever, I don't think it was there. In in all honesty, I mean, I think no, I, there, there, there's really not much difference between the parties. To be honest, mm. um, they they all want this to st a ceasefire of some description at some point to bring it all to a to a halt mm. to enable proper negotiations to take place. Personally, I think that's pie in the sky. But okay, um, they have a slightly different view on how and when it should happen. Mm. Um, and I think, actually, if you put them to the pin of their collar, they'd all say the same thing. They'd all want to see a ceasefire where both sides could be seen to be disengaging from conflict and not... Well, that's, that's, the, that's the point I'm making, and I, 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 and, and I think... Well, we're not some, at that point yet. 
Well, no, you've just said that there isn't a huge well, difference. I'm saying that's the what they're thinking. The trouble is, but, that's not a realistic expectation at present. Well, uh, if if Wednesday had a gone had a happened without the walkouts over the problem with the process, I, there could have been a step forward. There could have been a step in that direction. And a lot of the analysis afterwards, obviously it was based on what happened in the process rather than the fact that there seemed to be a move for cross-party support. Some well, of- I don't know if that's true or not. You see, well, you mustn't overestimate the importance of these debates. They're of no importance whatsoever. But And so that's why normally you take the government's amendment so that you can bring it to an end and the government can say, OK, thank you very much for raising this matter, but forget it. And that's the end of that. Because it's not a huge, big, thought-out policy which has got, you know, all sorts of different committee... Well, but apparently, behind behind the scenes, there has been a lot of... the. I mean, it's worth... Maybe I'm getting my sources, you know, from... But apparently, behind the scenes, there had been a lot of cross-party conversation about this for the very reasons that you raised as well, which the, the, the polarised positions that people were taking at a, in, within society generally was leading to these tensions, which was causing... You know, provocation and harassment of MPs. I think somebody had to close their their constituency office there only a couple of weeks ago, and it was this issue. Now, I'm not saying I, I agree with you. I, I I agree in the principle that we shouldn't change things because the mob want us to, and and, and well, I, I agree with that principle point. But I do think it was un- unfortunate that 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 process brought down what could have been a step in the right direction. And the last thing I'll say on it is is that there is a deeper issue here, which is around freedom of speech and the fact that people, if somebody says they don't believe that a ceasefire is right at the moment, um, and then while I will completely disagree with them, it is their right to hold that view. Of course. And they shouldn't be threatened. Or, But I also think the country, Britain in particular, I think they, there was a need, there is a need to try and just diffuse this discussion and, and to try and have some kind of cross-party position, given that they're not that far off. And then the last point to make, that, 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 that last one was the second last one, last one. I think it is important what's said. I know I know. Um, you might say that it, 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 it's, it's all that big a difference, but if there was something that came out that gave... Um, your foreign secretary, the ex-prime minister. Um, Lord Thingy, Cameron. Yeah, yeah, Cameron, David Cameron. It gives him direction. It gives him some leverage. That no, he doesn't. He, well, when he's sitting, he, he had a meeting with Netanyahu uh, only a couple of weeks ago. Yes, he did, but he's not going to take advice from the SNP. But no, I'm saying if it, this had flown through to be voted on in a majority within the House of Commons then that is the, the, the position of the House of Commons. That's the primacy of the That's House of Commons. That's what I'm saying. You're, you're, you're overstating the importance of these sort of motions. Let's suppose for a moment that that had gone through and mm. been agreed in red in tooth and claw. You know, the government would have reversed it the following day. No, no. If the, I'm saying if the government had voted on it as well, if there was... Yeah, if but there the was government it. couldn't vote for it because their policy at present is that, yes, we want a ceasefire, but it can't yet be provided, it can't yet be given. But that, even that position is softening. America's well, that, that is their position. It's always been. It's always their position. But, but it is softening. As is as is Biden's position. Well, Biden, I think, is 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 just worried about the election, which fair enough. Um, 
And yes, his position has changed a bit, but you see, they've got such the Americans have got such short attention spans in American politicians. Yeah. So in fact, uh, what he's looking at now is that this is creating hell's own trouble for him with mm. Republicans holding up money for for um, Ukraine, and they're gonna they will hold up money for Israel or anything like that that comes along. And this is just not worth the bloody candle anymore yeah. in terms of American domestic politics. Yeah. And I understand that that's that's where he's coming from. Yeah. I think in Britain. At the moment, the opposition, the, the I think there's a general feeling in the country. Now I'm I'm guessing this to some extent, but I think there's a general feeling in the country that you know something should be done. Um, I don't think that there's a huge feeling uh, for an immediate ceasefire that lets Hamas off the hook, but there is a very sizable number of people who do believe that. Who well, do hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Well, that's the whole point. Is is I know, but you're you're, you're saying. You're saying that you said so. Is every form of ceasefire? Does every form of ceasefire let, let Hamas off the hook? You've connected ceasefire to letting Hamas off. No, the that's hook. that's exactly why we've been opposing it up to now, and why the Americans been opposing it up to now. Because we have to have. You can't just say everybody stop now, because that doesn't work. If everybody stops now, and Hamas start getting all their their arms replaced, and put it the other way, the Israelis start building proper. Uh, you know, enclosures to take keep what they've got now and to launch a heavier attack later and so on and so forth. If I, that nobody's going to agree to that. Mm. So you've got to have a, an intermediate plan, which is that we will have a ceasefire and both sides have got to agree to basically not, not continuing to prepare for war in the short term. Mm. Um Hamas has been offered that before and have turned it down. Now, we're in danger of going down a road and spending an hour. Another rabbit hole. that we spent. We're going down the Hamas tunnel. Previously. And um, we've uh, we've crossed this bridge a couple of times together. And, yeah, we uh, keep going across it and coming back. We again. do, we do, we do. Um, and and given, given that we're only on... Our, our moans and moments are, are lasting longer every... So I'm going to give you a quick moan, and then we get on to this. Go on, then, yeah. um, Now I'm going to time you if it's quick. Go on. All right, it's RTE again. <laughs> and uh, what happened in the last week and the way in which this story... And you're right, you said earlier on, like, if you lift up a rock, you'd be surprised at the number of worms that are underneath it. So, but if you cast our minds back... Last year, we were talking about some overpayments to Ryan Torberty, who's no longer been mentioned, is off the scene completely. Um, since then, we have had numerous public accounts committees uh, and um, obviously lots of departures from RTE at senior level and a new DG. And then last week, we have this resignation of the, the chair of RTE on the back of some breakdown of communications, who was right and who was wrong, time will tell. Um, but did the minister know that the board had approved the uh, the, the package for, uh, I think particularly Richard Collins, the departing CFO? Um, like, does that matter? Does it matter at all? And, well, I mean, I think, as I understand it, the making of those um, payments was not illegal either. It was, it no, there's a, nothing. That, that nobody's committed. It was a negotiation. 
No, nobody's broken any law here. And 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 it was and, a bit. I, I think there you go. That's my moan. The fact that we're still talking about it and that it's going to go on next week. And and here's the here's the other thing about it. Could potentially, because you're in a coalition government where the party leaders have dug in to support the minister Catherine Martin, could potentially, if there's a vote of no confidence in her, be quite damaging to the government. I mean, the government could fall. Well, I think she's very damaged already anyway. She's obviously useless. So <laughs> she was she was quite well regarded and respected in the role that she was in. And there does seem to be some breakdown in who said what when. Um, That's always but, a bad thing. But they, they, like, Civil they, servants write down everything. They do. And they, they, so they somewhere they, there's they, a record. Yeah. Um they did, and 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 someone there was phone calls made. And I think there was a record of that phone call. But I think it stems from as well a face to face meeting where when the minister asked the question, did the board approve? Uh, Shuna Rahlik said, "I don't know, I don't remember." And and yes, then afterwards, I think she said that it, it had happened. So ne- neither were adequately across their brief, you might say. But- I wonder if they've got a strange standing order. Some companies do have this that when you have a remuneration committee that the full detail of those remuneration decisions don't get reported back to the main board. No, you see, again, what happened there was that they, and this is this is why there's a record of communication from RTE to, um, and I think it actually happened in one of the um, dog subcommittees, the media committee, um, they rewrote the terms of reference for the remuneration committee last mm-hmm. October. And... Uh, in, in in and expanded its brief uh, and its terms of reference to say that it would cover the uh, any severance packages because I don't think that was in place before that and they did communicate that um, but uh, it just feels now that the, the the issues are going down a level and then another level and another level. Meanwhile, there's still no funding structure for RTE. Uh, there's still no, um, you know, what do we mean by public state? We, we did, I think, one of our first podcasts was on this. Uh, I mean, the, the, very we, the very first one, wasn't it? I mean, um, so it just feels that this story is not going to go away. And if, if it wasn't about a media organisation and, and our public broadcaster, would it still attract the same level of interest in the same level? Oh, I think these... I think these um, sort of pile-ins seem to me to happen all the time. There's always the niggardly, um, uh, bad-mouthing of people Mm -hmm. who use use of why are they getting paid this when I'm living on the the dole, all that stuff. And there's a lot, and that goes on all the time. I mean, whenever any public servant gets... Sacked, dismissed, you know, volunteers mm. to resign, whatever you want to call it. And there is some sort of a payoff. Now, to some extent, there's got to be payoffs. The law allows for the payment of yeah. Yeah. you know various sums in various circumstances. And I think something that you brought up last week, in the case of RTE, the public purse is not meeting all of that because RTE gets loads of private money, commercial money as well. Exactly. So you know, there's even less reason to worry about it. You see, you know, maybe if you're the the chief executive of XYZ Inc., who, mm. who, who 
sponsor half the programs, then you could say, well, hang on a minute, you know, we didn't mean our money to be used for this. Um, but they don't say that, or at least as far as we know, they don't say that. No, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. And they operate in that environment. Because, because well. the amounts of peanuts compared for most yeah. of those yeah. Yeah. Um Anyway, I'm hoping that we won't have to talk about it for a long time, but I'm guessing we will. Let's move on to um, the big issue for this week's pod, which we said last week, having looked looked forward for this year to two elections, one in Ireland and one in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and what the outcomes might be. Um, and indeed, what might happen five years on in terms of the opposition parties, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, we reckon, yeah. and the Tories in the UK. Um, we also face in November, and we know it will be in November, a American presidential election. And already we, it looks pretty likely it's going to be Trump versus Biden. It looks all um, sir. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, unless the, the, the their health fails even further than it. Well, that's that's the only thing. I mean, I, yeah, I can't see it being stopped in any other way. No, um, and you know, I think the whole world looks at this and says, "Are they the best two people that you could find in America to stand?" Um, and then there's the polarizing nature of the Republicans and the Democrats. And one of the questions that that always springs to my mind is that if you're ever going to try and get some kind of cohesive government in the US, you know, I think most people would say, well, I understand why you might vote for Biden because you're a member of the Democratic Party or, you know, you've, you're aligned in some way with the politics. Um, but people are scratching their heads to try and understand. And I think we do need to understand why will 70 million people vote for Donald Trump? Well, it's part of the same reason, because he's a Republican and they've always voted Republican. But I mean, you know, know, it's the same in England. There's places where you could put up a you could put up a pig and uh, with a Labour rosette, you know, or a cow with a Tory rosette, and all the Labour and Tories would vote for him. Well, it, it, isn't this slightly different, though? There's never been a leader of a Republican Party like Trump. And I think that there are a lot of traditional Democrat voters the blue-collar Midwest voters that are voting for Trump that previously would have been hardcore Democrats. He does seem to have yeah. extracted a... I know it's under the banner of the Republican Party, but he, he does seem to have carved out a unique electoral base in, in the US. Well, that's true. Um, I think in, in a part of the trouble is the... You know, the the Democrats at the moment are acting like the Tories in in London. Um, they're in meltdown. Mm. I mean, they couldn't find a proper candidate other than this unfortunate old person. Um, they, you know, they they they've been losing stuff all over the place. They're seen as um, uh, elitist mm. and. Uh, wokeist, I suppose, to some extent, and so on. And there's some; they have some deeply nasty people in 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 their lineup. So, in some ways, I think it's the lack of an effective opposition that has enabled Trump to get to where he is now. I think it's also the fact that I think the Democrats 
have lost sight of mainstream America. Now, mainstream mm. America is quite a right-wing place, mm. as we would have, you know, because we don't use left-wing or white anymore between us, but, um, but I mean, it is quite a mm. right-wing mm. place. Much different, even the Democrats are quite right-wing by the normal measures that we've all had post-war. Um, and I think there is a fear that there is a sort of socialistic reformist element in the Democrats now, you know, which is going to turn America into a failed economy run by pinkos. Mm -hmm. um, I could believe that's happened already, but I mean, it's. I think there's a there's a lot of that going on as well, and there isn't anybody else on the um, the, the Republican side. I mean, the way in which Trump swats aside. Anybody who appeared to be a possible contender, yeah, you know, I mean, he's, and it's he's obviously struck a chord, God yeah. help us, in the in the American, yeah, psyche. Um, yeah. And the danger is that we go down the road which Hillary Clinton went down, which described them all as deplorables, or yeah. that they're all rednecks and they don't, you know, they don't really understand. I mean, that's just a horrific way to describe seventy million people. And if, if anything, that's going to get them to... That's the sort of thing I'm talking about. That's what's yeah. coming out of the Democratic Party. No wonder yeah. people reacted against that. Yeah. So they're going to become more entrenched. And and absolutely, Trump does appear to have... I mean, we'll scratch our heads going, how could you vote for Trump? I mean, what a horrible man. And, and, and you know, but, but the fact that 70 million people, we can't dismiss them. Uh, have he's connected with them, they feel that connected with him. That to me is the fundamental root cause of, of American politics. Now, I agree with you as well, and, and I would have said the same thing in the Labour Party in the UK. I think that both the Democrats and the Labour Party abandoned their traditional constituents. Absolutely. And lost sight of bread and butter politics, the basics that people want, you know, they want the job, they want a home, they want security, they want education, they want health systems, they want roads and transport. Good economy. And a good economy, a job. You know, they, they lost sight of that yeah. and went off on particular tangents. And I think the Democrats and the Labour Party have, over the years, I think, forgotten their constituents, the bread and butter politics. And as a result, um, they've left a vacuum. Now, I, don't, I wouldn't compare what happened in the UK from that, that point on to what's happened in America. But certainly, it's clear to say that Trump has come in and filled that vacuum and connected to people that were more traditional Democrats. So there's a uniqueness about him as a Republican president mm. that just, well, I'm not completely au fait with every aspect of American historical politics, but I don't think there's anybody that has been like him in, in, in the past. Um, there's been, there have been, um, there have been, as we both know, hugely, um, visionary presidents. Mm. Um, I'm not suggesting that Trump is either of those things, no. <laughs> but people with massive personalities. Yeah. Um, you know, Kennedy's an obvious one, Roosevelt's another obvious one. Well, that's the voice of authority. No, I think, um, I did, well, there was a lot of aggro with Kennedy after Cuba. Mm. I think it was quite divisive, but only in one part of the community. I don't think that was broadly. There, I think, and of course, his uh, his reputation has been burgeoned by the passing years because mm. it's always the big what if. 
with him. Mm. Um, but I mean, there were other Lincoln. Obviously, there was um, oh several others, uh, several other presidents, even presidents uh, like Ulysses S. Grant, mm. great national war leader and war winner, but uh, was caught out in a number of criminal enterprises just before he retired. Mm. Um, and he sort of, he went the other way. He went from being national champion to being persona non grata, really, mm. which is a shame. Um, but again, bringing it back to Trump, yeah. I mean, I had some conversations about this last week while I was in the UK, mm. and uh, some people were, I think you might have mentioned it in the pod last week as well, that the, uh, the American Constitution it allows presidents to pardon themselves. That is my understanding. Yeah, and and the suggestion being that uh, Trump, let's say the election wasn't until November of next year, mm. and he just ran out of runway with all these court cases, and was found guilty and was put in prison, like was actually sent to prison. Mm. I think that would be civil war in America. I think there's a serious danger of some sort of outbreak or uprising um, mm. uh, because uh, I think, it, I mean, I think if he, if something happens and he actually gets sent to prison between now and election day. Yeah. Yeah. I think people, if anything happens, it will extend his, increase his vote even more. Totally. I suspect. Yeah. And then, of course, from his prison cell, he will be able to completely exonerate himself and away we go. Yeah. Um, but if they stop him standing, different game. Same thing. Though, different game. Well, you see, if they stop him standing at all, and so say that happens in, in the summer, and there's no name Donald Trump on the ballot paper, they can't vote for him because they don't have write-ins anymore. Well, people do write in on the on the ballot sheet, but they don't count them. Yeah, but you're, you, what I'm saying is that I don't think you'd even get to an election day if 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 he if he was off the ballot. Yeah, I, yeah, I, no, I, I think you're right. I think that would be you know civil war. There's no other way to describe it. I it's think it's very but, difficult to know what would happen then. Like seventy million people. Yeah, and, and all know. all of them, I'm sure, well armed. Very well. The only thing I could see in those circumstances that might hold things together, but I don't hold out much hope, would be some sort of takeover by the, not takeover exactly, but by the the chiefs of staff of the armed services who would say, we must now bring stability to this situation. We can't have our nuclear weapons under the control of, a mob. So we are going to keep control of that and we will work towards replacing, uh, uh, bringing in a new president or even someone gets called up. See, because Biden will still be around. Mm. So it's going to happen on his watch. What's he going to do? See, I I, I don't think that who whoever's going to make the call on this is crazy enough not to understand that if they were to move against Trump, either to remove him off the ballot or to put him in prison, that the consequences of that oh. in the US at the moment are, are just 
front. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, funny enough, we just had a conversation earlier on saying that we shouldn't let the mob, you know, refrain really? from doing the right thing. But you have 70 million people. I, well, that's right. We do live in a democracy or democracies after yeah. all. If, yeah. You know, I think um, I've always been deeply unhappy about any moves anywhere that say we're going, we, we can't allow this man to go ahead mm. in Trump's case or indeed in anybody else's case. Mm. He, he, you know, we must get rid of it. Where they have such a vote. Yeah. We may not be able to understand why, because one would like to think mm. that couldn't happen in, in, in Britain or Ireland. I'm sure it couldn't happen in Ireland, and I'm pretty certain it wouldn't happen in England. So um, why, why did it happen? Why did it happen? I know I, I know we can lay some of the blame at the foot of the Well, Democrat. you know, this, I'm always going on about how the way in which, and it was in the Artilect to some extent that I did a while ago, the way in which... Um, the forces of bureaucracy, let's call them. Yeah. That uh, they carry on and carry on, undermining the mm. body politic. They undermine the national consensus all the time. Mm. Um, and people know that that's happening and they feel dissatisfied about it. That's why at the moment the Tories are absolutely up the creek and mm. they can't recover. It will come back to burn the Labour Party as well in due course because they're the arch regulators, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and you know movers of new opinion as they like to see it. So I think they're going to come unstuck. But we know how governments come unstuck. They come unstuck by losing elections and so on. And eventually, um, that well, that's not what we're talking about here. This is something different. I think it's. I think that's why the seventy million are supporting Trump because they see him as a mold breaker. Mm. He's um, he's a he's a he stirs the pot. You yeah. know, he breaks he breaks that sort of comfortable consensus, which actually isn't a consensus at all. Mm. And um, and so I think that's what's happening. Is I think it, I think it actually. You know, our, uh, America is a is a country born in a popular revolution. Yeah, it wasn't a political. Well, it was political, but it wasn't a revolution in the way we talk about them now. Yeah, it was an armed uprising by the population, mm. and I think that's what's happening again. Mm. Or it could happen again very easily. Mm. Um, if if Trump. I, I think we're in for a very rocky time. I mean, I think if Trump gets back with a massive majority, which he, he might well do, but as long as he gets back in, mm. um, he will do lots of things. The, the economy will certainly get a big uh, boom. It'll, it'll slash public expenditure. My suspicion is he will greatly increase military expenditure. Um, but a lot of other things would go by this morning. And then then actually, he will become unpopular with another group of people. I think he's unpopular with them already anyway. Which group? Um, well, I think mainly it would be the, um, uh, largely the sort of, the, the anybody who's reliant on um, government handouts in one way or another, I think they might, uh, they might come to, but they, I mean, they don't like him already, of course, but um I think there might be a, a reaction there, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. How 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 scared should we be 
of him coming back to power. And one of the things that struck me was, I know this sounds like a kind of a crazy thing to ask, but would, would Putin have invaded the Ukraine if Trump was the president? I, I think not, um, because I think he understands. I mean, you know, he these two are like calling to like. Yeah, yeah. They're both a bit, bit flaky. Yeah. flaky. Yeah. They're both well capable of making appalling tough decisions mm. um, without losing a, a wink of sleep. Um, and so I wouldn't be at all surprised. I think if 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 anybody internationally is silly enough to stand up to Trump, mm. um, they will feel the full power of American wrath, and they will wrath, as they say, and it it won't be pretty. Well, so, I, but I think I think I think Putin would back down because mm. Trump would say to him, "Look, you back down, and I'll make bloody sure that these things don't happen." Mm-hmm. And they'll they'll do a backstairs deal. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's how it would work because he's a deal maker. Trump, Trump, he likes the idea mm. of being able to come to, and he, he 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 kids himself that he's the only person who can actually talk Vladimir Putin's language. Mm. Well, he might, he, perhaps he is. I don't know. But so, <clears throat> if you if you divided Trump into foreign policy and domestic policy, and and domestic policy would be very. You know, it's going to be that kind of MAGA man, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. and in making America great again, it's going to be that sort of isolationist policy. Um, well, he isn't. He isn't. I think part of uh, I think his economy economic policy is quite isolationist. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he did this 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 you know make America great again thing. He wants America wants other countries to be afraid of them. Yeah. So so if you take his foreign policy then. Do you think his foreign policy, I mean, you could say the world's on fire a little bit at the moment. You know, we've talked about that in terms of the number of, of, you know, wars that are going on. Do you think that he would add fuel to that or do you think he could dampen it down? I think he'd, I, I'm not quite sure what he'll do in, uh, I mean, I'll discount everything he's said in public so far. Mm. Yeah. I don't think seriously. I don't think he wants to send American soldiers off to be killed anywhere. On the other hand, he doesn't want America or American allies being pushed around, mm. because although <clears throat> I mean he's a realist, he knows that although he may not agree with a lot of what Europe says or Britain <laughs> says or whatever, uh, when push comes to shove, we are the people who will support him. Mm. Um, <clears throat> certainly in military, in a military sense, I don't think he's going to get rid of NATO for a second. Yeah, Chiefs of Staff will have something to say about that. Pretty. So, so who's he playing to? What what constituency is he playing to when he says things like? Well, that? I think what he'll play up the uh, you know America is back. You mm. know we are the world's policemen now, so look out, you bastards, and mm. that will play well to his seventy million. Mm. Um, but they won't want to see too many body bags coming back. No. No. Well, who does? But I mean, that's one of the issues. Yeah. Do you the thing is but they've in, got a lot. They've got a lot of scope for doing things without body bags coming back or coming back coming back to America anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of economic power. Well, a lot of military stuff. I mean, yeah. they could. Uh, they've got missiles that make your eyes water. Right. What? 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 Um. What do you think? Uh, You'd say if you sat down opposite one of the 70 million, let's say that there were rational, reasonable, because I'm sure there are, 
mm-hmm. rational, reasonable people within that. What kind of questions would you ask them, or what? What? I think I'd ask them what they want. I'm I'm not entirely sure what that block actually wants. They want they like the idea of a strong America. Mm. I like the idea of a strong America. I don't like the idea of the America I think he's going to create. But <clears throat> you know, I think a strong America is a <clears throat> is something that in the West we've come to rely on for two or three mm. generations now. And that that's going to be a very difficult learning curve if we have to give that up. Mm. Um so but I'd ask them what they want and you know who do they think their friends are. Mm. Because you're going to need friends. You need friends in your personal life. You need friends internationally as a government because you can't always do everything yourself. You think you can, and in some ways you can. But, you know, if you want to enforce an embargo against Putin or anybody, you need other countries to come along with you because you don't control everything anymore. Mm. And especially you need to be in bed with the Chinese. That's what you're getting up to. And... Do I think that's more dangerous. What the Chinese might do, possibly. But, yeah, yeah. But we'll do, do you think? Um, do you think the Democrats make any effort to try and connect to that seventy million? Like in in in. in I don't think they know how to. Yeah, yeah. Because, like us, they don't know why it's happened. All they can see is the horrible, um, chauvinistic side of Trump, mm. saying stupid things, being unpleasant about women and all sorts of things. Mm. And I think that's that's all they can see. Mm. Now, they need to talk to the 70 million as well. They need to find out why is this bloke so bloody popular that's, that's when he different. represents everything we hate. Mm. There must be, you know, there must be another 70 million people who hate him. Mm. Perhaps it's only 60 million, but whoever, whatever it is, mm. there's a large number of people who still believe in that old liberal Democrat model. Mm. Um, so how do you get those together? This, I mean, in practice, what we've got in some ways is the old civil war split. Um, because that, although it's often classed as being a war against slavery, in fact, it wasn't that. That was one of the things that came out of um, what it was about, and it was about the power of the states. Yeah. The independence of the states, mm. not having uh, of an, o- an overarching, all-powerful government yeah. that could attack you to death and send armed men to make you do their will, mm. um, and that's still what it's about to the seventy million. I suspect. I think if you look, if you, I'm just about to reread uh, a history of the American Revolution, which I haven't seen. Oh, sorry, the American Civil War, which I haven't read for years, and there's one I'm trying to get older, which is very expensive, so I might not read that one. But anyway, um, I think I think there's a lot of that still real in America. Mm. That's a bit about the states. The states are very powerful. Yeah, they are. And, and, and um, there is, a, a, within that 70 million, I suspect, a resentment. It's very strong resentment towards Washington. And, yeah. and anything that is fed. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Very so, um, you know, again, there's something in there about sort of small government. We want small government. We want to have yeah, yeah, decision-making. Yeah. Um, and that traditionally, you know, there's a lot, that's very traditional American thinking. Mm. Small government. I mean, there's a lot of trite comments, you know, about 
Reagan said the most dangerous, the most frightening words in the in in English are "Hello, I'm from the government. I've come to help." Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, that has all silly stuff. It's just knock yeah. about stuff. But, but there's something in that in the American side. Him, there is actually in conservatism in England. It's very well hidden at the moment, and it's almost quiescent. But it is there. Yeah. This this uh, this hatred of big government and bureaucracy. God knows, I've got a lot of that myself. But it, it is traditionally, in in the old sense of left and right wing, it is very much a right wing value, small government and and you know less taxation, less less less. Am I right? Is that fair to say? Well, I think I think yes, but I think that's more because of the failure of the left to realise mm. that you know actually the power of governments, the power of societies stems from the individual and from families, mm. not from. The government doing everything. That's something the left has struggled with for years. They can mm. never work out another way of doing things mm. um, that isn't passing a new act. And would, would the Democrats traditionally have been supporters of big government and regulation? And so did you have that cycle of the Republicans, you know, dismantling Washington and putting the power back out to the states and then the Democrats come in and built up Washington and tried to... Well, I think, I think um, I don't think anybody really has managed to break down the government machine in America. Mm. I think uh, it's got so big and so powerful. It's very, very difficult to do anything about it. It's actually true in England as well. Very difficult to do anything about it. It may need some sort of, you know semi-dictator like Trump to actually do it. Mm. Now, and then we'll find out whether it was a good idea or not. It won't look like a good idea for a long time, but we'll mm. see. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so, I, yeah, I think that's... Um, but I think, yeah, I do think the Democrats, I think, are, are definitely much less well-inclined towards the states. People mm. forget, actually, it's an in, and it's an interesting point that Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. And uh, and so um, it was interesting that, that, that how that worked out because you wouldn't think that they've almost reversed in their and, and the Democrats were pro-slavery. I mm. mean, it's they they virtually reversed in their polarities, both of them. So there's, uh, there's, the there's two statues of non-British people in Parliament Square. One is Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Do you know the other? Nelson Mandela. Very good. Very good. On the money. And actually, Churchill had an American mother, so he could have called himself an American as well. Okay. Okay. Um, so if we fast forward 12 months from now, we could see, we expect to see a Trump-led US, a Labour-led UK definitely and a Sinn Fein led Irish Republic. Quite possibly. The sun will still come up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Things won't change that dramatically, or will they? Like will we will we apart from the, the bubble mm. of political, you know, commentary, will we notice anything different? On the first day afterwards? No, I mean, I'm saying well, 12 from now. Um, all those three I don't think we'll presidents. notice much difference when Labour takes over in England for a while. Mm. Um, they might do one or two little things. 
Um, but I don't think they'll do anything major. You'd have to mm. wait for their first budget to see that. So that will be well into their their first year. Other than um, other than try and re-establish relationships with the EU. I think they will. I'm not even sure they'll do that straight away. If they want to do that, they should do it straight away, but I don't know if they will. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah. Uh, But they might. They might. That could be one thing that would would be a bit of a change. I think the Americans, I think when Trump takes over, we won't see very much internationally for a while unless he's going to let Putin do what he likes. Hmm. In which case, the, 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 the bottom will fall out. Yeah. Because we'll all be at war by that time. Yeah. yeah. And that's why he won't do it. And, like, does he because... Well, of I think him... he'll do a deal with Putin that we Putin. might not like. Yeah, yeah, I could see that happen. And and does he, because of who he is and because of his international reputation, does he, by association, damage the reputation of the US internationally? Oh, well, he must do. I know, you know, Kevin, uh, uh, you, you know Kevin and I. Yeah. You know well. He, he... Uh, is just incensed by Trump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And his family as well. I mean, I talked to his sister a couple of months ago when she visited Ireland, and, yeah, even she was the same. I mean, I think a lot of traditional New England liberal types are incensed by him, and I think they do find it intensely embarrassing. Yeah. The sorts of things he says um, are just so gross sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But you think, God almighty, you know, mm. how did they come up with this? I'm trying to remember when he was, I know when he's when he's fighting an election, he, he's definitely more extreme. But when he was in power and serving as the president, did he still come out with, as, with as many crazy statements or was he... Well, I think, crazy? I think the thing about Trump is that he's a businessman. So mm. economics talk where he's concerned. And that's his main... That's his big strength is is knowing how economies work and knowing mm. how budgets work and knowing how commerce works. Albeit we might not like the way he thinks it works, but anyway, that's um so I strongly suspect that his economic policies will be strong, mm. probably quite unpopular amongst a lot of people, very popular amongst a lot of other people, but will essentially uh, strengthen the American economy, maybe not immediately, but over time. Mm. Um, <clears throat> that's not to say that it will strengthen or be good for everybody in America, but I think that's that's where he will go. His objective will be to strengthen the American economy. Mm. LBC now, if he does that through wholesale isolationism and protectionism, well, then we're all for a thin few years because mm. that won't do anybody any good. It won't be as effective now as it would have been 30 years ago mm. because we've all dissipated a bit since then and the supply chains have changed and we all buy our fuel from all over the place, mainly from the Arabs um, now, don't buy from us. I see actually today, this week, um, for the first time, Europe is no, has no longer stopped purchasing oil from Russia. Yeah, but I've also, I've also I don't think it. I think it's largely because of uh, unexpected mildness in the winter weather. Mm. So, so I wouldn't be surprised if we have to carry on. Well, the Germans have to carry on doing it anyway. <clears throat> but we'll see. Russia's economy has grown, and and despite the sanctions, well, they say it has. You have to worry about how they count things. Well, I mean, I mean, I think um, I think it's largely accepted. But 
Uh, well, he's spending. They've spent a fortune in investment in in armaments. They're yeah. building yeah, tanks yeah. and guns and bullets as fast as they can. Yeah. So that's you know wars. Or they cost money, but they also bring about huge investment and economic growth. It's something yeah, yeah. the way after a bit as well. But yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, one other factor with Trump, and again, it was one of the fears that we had back in 2016 when he won his mm-hmm. first election was that it would be damaging for Ireland because he pulled the foreign direct investment, or he would change the corporation tax rules, or he would do something that would damage our the level of multinational, particularly American organizations that we have in Ireland, that didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. Did he run out of runway or, or I don't know why that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Because one of the things he's, he would not like is American companies paying taxes anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, They, they already do that for individuals. They're very strict on uh, American nationals who earn money across the, the world, even when they're, living somewhere else yeah um, in taxes in america so i wouldn't be at all surprised if he were if he did go for that mm-hmm. um especially if um as i expect will be the case ireland takes a fairly critical line mm-hmm. on some uh, he's very good at getting his own back if he feels like it if he thinks mm-hmm. or he uh, himself have been slighted mm-hmm then he will say, fair enough, chaps, you know, mm-hmm. we'll have our money back, which is how he'll present it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you don't know where that's going to go. So that will be a big influence for yeah. America. On the other hand, he may also – see, that's the other thing. Britain, of course, would be gung-ho to get some sort of um, trading relation, free trade relationship with America. Now, that doesn't look very likely now because I don't think they, t- they, they talk about free trade much. But he just might do it for England. Mm. For Britain, um, he certainly won't do it for the EU. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the the and so that means Ireland couldn't avail of something like that. Yeah, um, but you will have people like Keir Starmer and his front bench cabinet, who yeah. will have to swallow their pride or their position on a few things to negotiate. Ever thus. A, a Trump-led government, and similarly, you you know, Sinn Fein's position about Trump would be predictable, I would say. Um, but again, they have to do business with the guy. Um, well, that's exactly it. You know, I mean, I think it's um, it's it's going to be interesting times as the Chinese. Yeah, uh, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. Like to, uh, that's going to run out. But I mean, I think I think in terms of. Uh, Irish relations with America, the future is looking grim. Um, I do think, I, though, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I do think that there is a, and I know you think that we're being a bit uh, naive about that, but I do think that there is a unique relationship between Ireland and America. Like there's 30 million people in America who declare themselves to be of Irish descent. Like it, it is a strong it is a strong group, so strong as it used to be. Maybe not, but I, th- I think whether it was Democrat. Well, or don't forget, Democrat. he's not playing to them. He's playing to the seventy million. Yeah, but maybe yeah, thirty of that seventy million could be some of those people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but they probably agree with him on some of it. I don't know. 
who knows where that's going to go exactly um, i mean i think the uh, i think the main the main um benef- beneficiaries of a trump government are likely to be russia and the middle east because i think he will get into bed with the russians if he can <clears throat> and i think he will do his best to be on good terms with the middle east so that they start to do something about yeah, yeah, yeah. Hamas, or it doesn't have to be just Hamas, it could be all sorts of things. Yeah. Well, time will tell. Time will tell. Um, good. So we'll keep coming back to these topics as the year develops, yeah, obviously, um, because we've three very significant elections on the horizon. Well, and there was one thing that did occur to me, mm. and I know you're trying to wind up now, but no, uh, what did occur to me was, God forbid, what happens if either Biden or Trump get assassinated. Yeah. I'd say it's more likely to be Trump at the moment, but mm. um, I don't know what happens. And if, if if it's Trump, then I think you might see uh, 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 an outbreak of some sort. Mm. Um, if it's Biden, well, the vice, vice president will take over. Trump will still be elected. So uh, I think that just speeds along Trump's, assumption of power so i think it's uh unlikely anybody's going to bump off biden i think much more likely he might just pop off on his own um but uh yeah if Trident if if trump gets assassinated that could get very nasty yeah i i, I yeah i i i think yeah i can see i can see what you're saying um and i suppose it, it all depends on who who does the bumping off and what they represent? But they are it, there is a there is a powder keg in the US at the moment. Which yeah, uh, anyway, we'll see how it develops. Um, any plans this week? Um, we're going away on at the weekend mm. briefly. We'll be back on Monday, mm. and I've got a couple of um, meetings and appointments and injections before Very we. Good. But then uh, oh, we'll be back after that. We should mention um, we should mention the complaint that we got last week. Oh, about we should. Your, your, oh, I forgot about that. Your treatment of cork. I know. Um, yeah, I was. <laughs> hang um, on. I've got to find it. Yeah. So again, we've, we've been inundated with a a text. A text. Yes. Um, uh, I think it was. Um, that you just dis- you just dis- you described Cork as an old oh, yeah. country market town. Well, I tell you, I'll read out. <clears throat> this is from um, one of our most avid listeners, who is a man I used to work with. I won't say who he was or what he did. Can you not name him now? Well, we call him Tony. Okay. Um, so when I was talking about uh, Cork and, and the the business about the signposts. Mm. And that the problem basically was that Cork was originally an old country market town. Mm. Well, he took uh, he took Umbridge, a proud Corkman. He took Umbridge. Mm. Yes. He said, uh, he said, old country market town, and then various different squiggles and mm. picture things, whatever they're called. Um, and I said, well, that's what it was: the butter market. What was that? The English market. They were all markets. It was a market town. Mm. And he said, yes, but you can't be coming over here and calling the real capital an old country market town. Come and have I've only been here 20 years. <laughs> and he said, I said, 
I said it was an old country market town when the real national capital was London. See, I've always been good at, at, at calming. Yes, you have. Yeah, 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 yeah. You calm and provoke in the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> and he said, see, that's exactly what I mean. You speak and write before you think, um, and it's going to get you into trouble. Have Rosario or Kieran no control over you? <laughs> and I just said, um, oh, I haven't put, put it in there, but I just replied, no. <laughs> so anyway. But he did so, say as well. He, he did sign off by saying, "I have to go now. I'm listening to a pod. I'm listening oh, to a podcast, and I'll be studying it for mistakes." That's right. Yeah. So, so he, I'm expecting he, another message any moment. He's a podcast reviewer. Oh yes, podcast reviewer, big time. Well, Tony, you only have to deal with him now and again through text messages. Imagine what's <laughs> like to deal with him an hour and a half every week. <laughs> he used to deal with me for more than that every week. <laughs> um. Yeah. All right. Well, have a great week. And you. I shall talk to you next week. Right. See you soon. Mind yourself. Bye-bye. The Artificial Hipsters Cross the Bridge is presented and directed by Kieran Casey and Jim Corbett. It is an Artificial Hipsters publication. Thank you.